This is The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, The Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Just over a week until the fateful day, Tuesday, November 6th, general election. A couple more polls out this past week at the top of the ticket, U.S. Senate race, gubernatorial race, pretty much the same old, same old uh, that we've seen for the last month. Uh, Bill Schuette is still trailing Gretchen Whitmer in the governor's race. Bill Schuette, the Republican, has been behind Gretchen Whitmer over the space of nine polls by my count over the last month by anywhere between eight and 14 points. Now, a week or so ago, uh, two out of three polls came out showing the margin of Gretchen Whitmer's lead over Bill Schuette was down from nine to 8%, um, down from what it had been before, 12, 14%. So it looked like the race was tightening. But now a poll comes out from Marketing Resource Group, MRG, and Lansing this week showing Gretchen Whitmer up by 14 points again, if this is accurate. So whether the race is tightening or whether it remains a race with her substantially ahead, Uh, Whether it's 8 or 10 or 12 or 14 points, the bottom line is Bill Schuette uh, only has about uh, 9 or 10 days to close the gap. That's very tough to do. Uh, The same poll uh, was taken on the U.S. Senate race by Marketing Resource Group, and it showed that John James uh, is down by 16 points to Debbie Stabenow. Now, that is pretty much in sync with most polls that were taken over the past two to three months. Uh, Although John James uh, got the margin down in one poll, the Mitchell Research and Communications poll about 10 days ago to 9%, supposedly. That was the closest we've ever seen. But now, according to MRG, a week later, it's back up to 16 Uh, maybe there's some difference in the methodology between the polls, whatever. Uh, John James doesn't appear any closer to Debbie Stabenow right now than Bill Schuette is to Gretchen Whitmer. Now, John James insists that he took an internal poll by the Terrence group, which is an outside Michigan group, but it's got a national reputation and he was only down seven points, 48% to 41%. So he insists it's closer. And I will say, it, it appears to me that John James has kind of overperformed in this race compared to the expectations because he was so little known. And uh, Debbie Stabenow is such a well-established politician in Michigan, an incumbent running for her fourth six-year term. Whereas Bill Schuette, you could argue, has underperformed. Uh, he is the sitting attorney general. He's been in public office in some way, shape, or form since 1984, except for two years. And yet uh, he's never been able to get closer than the polls I've just cited show him to be. So that is the polling with eight or nine uh, days to go. 
I'm just going to mention, we are going to have a special guest here in a few minutes from the Michigan Freedom Fund uh, on Proposal 2. Uh, the Michigan Freedom Fund um, is the kind of fiscal embodiment of Protect My Vote, as they're calling themselves. They are the opponents of Proposal 2. Now, earlier in the summer, um, I had on Katie Fahey here. Katie Fahey is the executive director of Voters Not Politicians. That's the name of the proposal, Proposal 2, which would take away from the legislature uh, the power to redraw district lines for the State House of Representatives, the State Senate, and Congress every 10 years after the census and give it to an independent commission. Um, that particular group has uh, and had yesterday, Friday, uh, some heavy hitters come into Detroit, former President Barack Obama and his former Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, who is fighting on behalf of uh, not only uh, – Voters, not politicians, a yes vote on Proposal 2 here in Michigan, but he's trying to do the same thing in a bunch of other states. He was here with President Obama, and he is touting a yes vote on Proposal 2. Let me just mention that removing legislative redistricting, which has always been an inherent legislative function since the 19th century, from the legislature itself, and giving it to an ostensibly nonpartisan or bipartisan commission is not a new concept, even in Michigan. Uh, the 1961-62 Constitutional Convention wrestled with this troublesome issue, and it produced a clause in the 1963 Constitution, that's the one in an effect today, uh, which was approved by voters in a statewide vote, creating a commission on legislative apportionment. But this eight-member commission always deadlocked four to four. And with that deadlock, uh, the Constitution transferred the most important political decision to be made in the state each decade to a supposedly nonpartisan Supreme Court. Even though uh, Supreme Court justice candidates are nominated at state political party conventions or appointed by a governor who is elected on a partisan ticket. And then these justices run in the general election in November without party label on the nonpartisan ballot. That's happening again this year. We've got two of the seven members of the Supreme court running for reelection this year. They both are Republican nominated justices, but they're running as nonpartisan. If you don't know that they're Republicans, you're not going to be able to tell it by looking at your ballot when you vote on November 6th, or maybe you've already voted absentee. All you'll see is that these two justices are incumbents on the court. It'll say justice of the Supreme Court beneath their name, but you won't know their party. And the Supreme Court, when it comes to redistricting or reapportionment cases that come before it, are mandated to choose from among plans submitted to the court by the deadlocked commissioners. Uh, the high court is supposed to choose the plan 
that a court majority perceives as most constitutional, quote unquote. Now, interestingly, the two plans under the current constitution that were considered the most gerrymandered ever were the ones submitted by the Michigan Democratic Party and adopted by the Democrat-controlled Supreme Court in 1964. That was called the Austin-Kleiner Plan. In 1972, the Hatcher-Kleiner Plan. So, you know, it's no uh, novelty that there has been a struggle over how you can fairly and with an even hand reapportion or redistrict lines for the state house of representatives and the state Senate and Congress every 10 years after a census. Uh, right now, the courts in Michigan still have a lot of power over what the final result is in 1982 and 1992. Uh, the Supreme court took charge of redistricting after the two political parties could not agree on what the plan should look like. And in various ways, they got the job done. Uh, then in 2001 and 2011, for the first time since 1925, the Republicans had control of everything. They had control of the House, the Senate, in the state legislature, and they had the governor. And so they passed plans that the Democrats claim are gerrymanders almost as bad as the Austin Kleiner and Hatcher Kleiner plan uh, were for Democrats back in the 60s and 70s. I'm going to be back in a minute with our special guest, and uh, we're going to take the discussion from there. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have with us now a special guest. Uh, he is Tony Dawn, the executive director of Protect My Vote, which is the ballot question committee uh, operating, as I understand it, uh, with the support of or under the aegis of the Michigan Freedom Fund. Tony Daunt, glad to have you here. On- hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. Our pleasure. Uh Hopefully this is going to be an uh, educational half hour here, uh, divided into three segments. Let me just start out um, asking you, um, your committee, the ballot question committee, protect my vote, opposing proposal two on the statewide ballot on November 6th general election. And of course, many people have already voted absentee. Uh, What is the general basis of your opposition to this proposal? Well, um, there, you know, there are numerous problems with, uh, with this proposal and, um, you know, some of the things that we have been focusing on and will focus on for the next two weeks are the cost, the unaccountability, the complexity, and the unfairness. And, uh, throughout this next half hour, uh, I'm, I'm happy and prepared and ready to, to go through each of those and, um, you know, ultimately, when you look at the problems um, inherent in those four kind of bullet points, uh, it's bad policy to begin with. But when you think of the, you look at the fact that they're trying to put this in our constitution, 
um, that is just a, a real dangerous experiment with uh, with Michigan's constitution that I don't think Michigan voters are, are ready for. Uh, when this uh, proposal comes before the voters, uh, and it's already there, obviously absentee voters have already voted on it, but November 6th general election, what should people be concerned about? Uh, what is wrong with the legislature, which for 180 years has been responsible for drawing district lines in Michigan every 10 years after a census. Uh, what is wrong with that system in the eyes of the people who support proposal two? And is the proposal that they are advancing to replace it an improvement? Well, I'll, I'll start with that, uh, you know, kind of working backwards, uh, Categorically, um, this plan is not an improvement. In fact, it would make things um, infinitely worse. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll hit on that kind of based on some of those earlier points. Uh, one would be the cost. And when you look at the language of this proposal, uh, it, uh, it establishes in there a minimum of what their budget can be or what their budget should be, a minimum of what the salary for the commissioners shall be. It mentions nothing about a maximum. And um, we think that that's, that's incredibly important to protect taxpayers from this commission of 13 unelected, unaccountable individuals. And, um, you know, it's, it's essentially a blank check. And we're making sure that Michigan voters are aware of that. Well, where are and, they? Where are they going to get the money? Well, you know, if you, if you read the proposal, it, it indicates that um, a minimum of twenty-five percent of the Secretary of State's general fund budget should be allocated to this, and then it goes on to state further that the commissioners shall be paid a minimum of twenty-five percent of the governor's salary, and um, that you know purportedly would come from the same pool of money, but as you read further and dig deeper into the details, um, it states that the legislature shall appropriate any other funds deemed necessary to complete this project. And, um, you know, those of us here in Lansing in particular, um, and people who are involved in the, the process of writing bills and reviewing them know that the word shall is very important, and it means that the legislature has to do this. And so, um, you know, they may try a clever trick of saying, well, the legislature still has to approve it. Well, the bottom line is it's written into the Constitution that they shall approve whatever these commissioners deem appropriate. So in uh, other words, if the legislature gets its back up and says we're not going to appropriate the money that they claim they need, then what happens? Well, then, then I, I, I guess, uh, again, that's kind of the whole issue of the experiment here is my guess would be there'd probably be some kind of legal um, battle related to this. But, you know, the language is pretty clear. Um, and I think this is the real problem, that the legislature shall. Um, well, let me, ask you, shall let me ask you this. And, and they've been very clear. They set it up that way on purpose. Yeah, let me ask you this. You say the commissioners are supposed to be paid one quarter of the governor's salary. By my calculation, that would be something like $44,500 a year apiece. That would be their salary. Is this a full-time job for these commissioners? So, so far as everything I've heard them say um, as they go around the state talking about this, um, is that no, um, that, you know, it's a matter of 
attending public hearings and they set it up in a way, um, supposedly set it up in a way that anybody could participate. So you wouldn't have to leave your job so that uh, people could could do this um, in addition to their normal uh, daily job, their, their normal lives. And, um, you know, again, I think that that's uh, a reckless uh, use of our taxpayer dollars. And, you know, it, 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 there's no maximum. And I, I beg you to find a government program that has come in um, at its minimum um, in this state or in this country. And uh, I think that um, they know this is bad, and, and that's why they're trying to uh, to dissemble um, on the issue. Okay, let me ask you about the um, commissioners themselves. Um, as I understand, it's the 13-member commission, and four of the members are supposed to be partisan Republicans, four are supposed to be partisan Democrats, and then the other five are supposed to be independent. And as I understand it, you can clarify this, each political party has some ability to reject proposed nominees to the commission uh, if they don't like them. How many uh, rejection slips can a party uh, hand in to, uh, keep somebody off the commission and does it really make any difference or can they just go on forever rejecting everybody? Well, it, you know, it, it, uh, it's a very complex and convoluted process of, uh, who is eligible to be on the commission. Um, you know, and I'd be happy to go into further detail a bit later on, on what the various disqualifications are, but ultimately to answer that question, I believe it's once they get to once they've narrowed the pool down to 200, then each of the legislative leaders um, in the House and the Senate, so the Senate Majority and Minority Leader, the House Speaker and the House Minority Leader, each get to reject five um, of the candidates. And uh, you know, if you got 200 and they each get to reject five, if if a group of people have gotten together as they did in California, which has a similar policy. Um, I think they, they based it very closely to California's model. Um, they can get together and game the system. And so what if you get to kick off five if there's 15 who have uh, incorrectly or falsely claimed to be related to one party or another? We've got so much more to talk about. We're going to have to take a short break, but we'll be back in... A minute or so with the executive director of Protect My Vote, Tony Daunt, uh, operating with the support of the Michigan Freedom Fund uh, in opposing ballot proposal number two. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back with Tony Daunt. He is the executive director of Protect My Vote, the group opposing ballot proposal number two. Uh, with the support of the Michigan Freedom Fund, they are opposing uh, ballot proposal number two. We're talking about the establishment of an independent commission uh, to do redistricting of lines for the State House of Representatives, the State Senate, and for Congress every 10 years after the census. Uh, Tony Daunt, we were talking about 
uh, the cost, uh, and you indicated there may be litigation uh, there if the legislature gets its back up and says we're not going to appropriate all the money that this commission uh, and the Secretary of State claim they need for this, and it ends up in court, and does that go up to the Supreme Court? But let me ask you about the role of the courts in general. Um, How is the proposal written? I mean, what if, after all is said and done, let's just say this commission is appointed, uh, it does all its work, and it comes up with three separate maps. Now, what if um, some group of litigants out there say these are terrible maps, uh, they violate, you know, equal rights, equal protection, uh, and try to appeal them in court? Uh, the question is, what court? Do the courts have any power whatsoever, uh, particularly the Supreme Court, to overturn or reject a map and order the commission to go back to work? Well, you, you, your question um, points to a, a real um, a real concern and problem with this proposal, and that's the complexity. And um, any time you have something, this thing is 3,200 words long. And for a bit of uh, perspective on, on how long that is, if you take the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, and then the first 10 um, amendments, the Bill of Rights, and you add them all together, you get 6,300 words. Those are the three main kind of founding, governing documents for our system here in America. And this thing is fully one half of them going into the Michigan Constitution. And because of that complexity, it's really difficult to dig through all of the specifics and determine what exactly it means. And that's why it doesn't belong in the Constitution. In, in terms of the courts, you know, we, there's the very real potential of legal um, battles from, from the get-go in terms of what the language itself says, that the powers it takes away from the legislature, um, and then related to the maps themselves, you know, right now, people have the ability, an aggrieved party has the ability to file a lawsuit, um, whether it be based on federal law or state law, on the lines. And then the, the, the Supreme Court here in Michigan um, can even you know, draw their own lines and, and say, all right, enough of this. You know, here's what's going to happen. And in fact, that, that basically is almost what, uh, certainly what they did in 1992. I know that. Yes, and, and in 82, uh, that's how we got the, the so-called APOL standards, was the Supreme Court appointed a special master for the lines named Bernie APOL, and he came up with a system that has served Michigan very well over the last three uh, and a half, four decades. And, you know, unfortunately, what the way we read this language, if there is some legal concerns with these lines, the most that the Supreme Court of Michigan can do is say, Sorry, these are bad. Go draw another one, Commission. And so, how how often does that go back and forth? Uh, you know, that that has the potential to, to raise the cost pretty significantly, right there. What about and the so, federal? What about the federal courts? I mean, there have been suits filed in the past in federal court against uh, Michigan maps, um, and you know, it seems to me the federal court doesn't really care too much what's in the Michigan Constitution uh, if they decide that the maps are rotten and bad and unfair, uh, they can overturn it too. You see this in state after state throughout the country. Yeah, there, there, are, there are very set um, laws in place and, and guidelines that must be followed, in particular at the federal level, related to how lines are drawn. You cannot minimize majority-minority districts. And, um, you know, quite frankly, that's, that's one of the key reasons that some of these districts um, look so, quote-unquote, funny. Or, or ugly or weird, as the supporters say, and, and they use them 
to indict the entirety of the redistricting process. But ultimately, you know, you could you could make this the, the Detroit congressional districts quote look prettier, but you'd be violating the Voting Rights Act because you'd be cramming all of the African American voters into one district and minimizing their their power and their ability to have two majority minority districts as we've historically had here in Michigan. And so it, it, it's yet it's just another um, point of of opposition that the complexity that nobody really knows how this will play out and to put it in the constitution to make it to put it there basically forever um in a, in a in a manner that is almost impossible to fix to change is just it's reckless and we shouldn't accept that and i think michigan voters historically have taken that stance when they see something like this they don't understand it they know it's complex they wonder what's trying to be put over them and uh, i think as they learn more about this, um, they, they will be voting no on November 6th. You mentioned earlier that in the process of putting together the commission, uh, you're going to get the list of applicants to be on the commission or people picked to be on the commission down to 200. And at that point, uh, the uh, political parties or the leaders in the legislature or whatever can get into the act in rejecting people up to five, as you say, and maybe that's meaningless. Question is, how do they get down to 200? Is this done by law? Lottery? I mean, who has the power to reduce the list of all the people who might serve out of 10 million people in Michigan to 200? Well, not, not surprisingly, there's a, a whole ton of complexity to that um, issue itself as well. And, you know, you say you said 10, you know, potential of 10 million. I'll, I'll start by saying that right off the bat, um, hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, a million people are automatically disqualified from participating and from serving on this commission by virtue of already being civically engaged um, or, or, or even more egregiously, by virtue of being related to somebody who is civically engaged. Uh, it, it prohibits people um, who are precinct delegates or who su- serve on their local executive committee. It prohibits people who are elected not to any partisan office, so township trustees, township supervisors. Those are all partisan ballots. Uh, somewhat, you know, perversely, people elected on nonpartisan ballots. So I think the vast majority of mayoral um, slots and city council slots throughout the state of Michigan are nonpartisan. So, you know, you got a, you got an instance where, you know, Aunt Sally, who is the township supervisor in your neck of the woods, she's prohibited. Her spouse is prohibited. Her parents are prohibited. Her children are prohibited. And her stepchildren or stepparents, if there are any, are prohibited. But Mike Duggan, the mayor of Detroit, you know, he runs on a nonpartisan partisan ballot. So he's okay to serve. Um, finding anybody who thinks Mike Duggan isn't a partisan Democrat, I mean, it's, it's just silly. And, you know, you'd look at the people who are prohibited. We wouldn't accept that kind of discrimination based on somebody's age, their gender, their ethnicity. Uh, why do we accept it for somebody based on not just their civic engagement, but being related to somebody? And, it, then you throw in the fact that once these applicants come in, the, the the biggest driver, the person with the most power over determining how to weight the system, who to um, you know how to how to randomly select them, so to speak, is the Secretary of State. And the Secretary of State is a partisan elected office. And so this claim that politics is being taken out of the process is just laughable. Well, let me ask you: uh, when you mention these qualifications that would uh, disqualify uh, a lot of people who, as you say, are civically engaged uh, from serving on the commission, is this just for the five independents who are on the commission? I mean, what if one of the four Democrats 
Democratic slots happens to be a Democratic uh, township supervisor. Is that okay? Are we just talking about the five? Are we talking about all 13? This is all 13. And um, and again, that's that's just another problem. So in Michigan, we do not register to vote by party affiliation. And so if, if we want to have a system where you really do have people who are identifiable and we know and trust that they are Democrats and identifiable and we know and trust that they are Republicans, you, you want to have some method to determine that they're being truthful because unfortunately people will lie um, and I wouldn't put it past either side to engage in gamesmanship um, and try and stack the deck by having their people claim to be someone of the other party or claim to be an independent. And this has in fact happened in California. Uh, the Democrats um, in California, when they first tried this, got together and tried to come up with a plan to game the system, sent people in to say the same thing. And why would we bring California's problems here to Michigan? Okay, we're going to have to take another short break here. We're with Tony Dawn, who's the executive director of Protect My Vote which is the ballot question committee opposing proposal two on the November 6th general election ballot. We'll be back in a minute with Tony Dawn. This is MTN and you're listening to the political insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We're back with Tony Dawn, who is the executive director of Protect My Vote, which is the ballot question committee opposing Proposal 2 on the November 6th general election ballot, which is the proposal to remove from the legislature and the governor the power to redraw district lines every 10 years after the census for the state House of Representatives, the state Senate, and Congress uh, Tony Dodd, you mentioned a minute ago uh, the role of the Secretary of State in this process. She, uh, and it will be a she, uh, after November 6th, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, uh, will be in charge of running this commission. And uh, let's say Jocelyn Benson, the Democratic nominee, who, by the way, is ahead in the polls by double digits last I looked, uh, wins the Secretary of State's office and she is in charge of the commission. How much power does she really have? Or is she just kind of a clerk? Is she just kind of a processor? Uh, will she not really have any influence? What do you think? Well, you know, as, as, I, as I mentioned, um, the Secretary of State is a partisan elected office. And so right there, uh, you know, that, that goes directly against the claims and the, and, and the you know, the, the, the words of the supporters that this is some, you know, grand nonpartisan independent commission. Um, this would be a bad idea, whether it was a Republican secretary of state or a Democratic secretary of state. And we're, we're setting up basically kind of a, a redistricting czar um, with the secretary of state because of because of the, the power they will have over these 13 individuals. Um, they will be the Secretary of State, the one that you know works with them to help with the technology, to help with the um, consultants, to help with uh, the weighting of um, of the the demographics to make sure that it's representative um, or supposedly representative of Michigan. And I, I think it's fair for people um, on either side of the party of the Secretary of State to have concerns that it's 
really being done in a nonpartisan, independent way. We're very polarized right now. And I think setting it up in a way where um, you're giving the Secretary of State this kind of, of power um, over 13 novices um, is is silly. And I think it will just, it's, it's transplanting potential um, concerns with the way we do things now with a set of even more um, drastic problems that, again, is in the Constitution that cannot be changed um, outside of, uh, of an additional amendment. And why would we do that? Why would we put that in the Constitution? Why would we experiment with it that way? Tony Dawn, as you know, uh, your opponents uh, on ballot proposal number two, uh, the so-called voters, not politicians proposal, um, people who support BNP, voters, not politicians, include uh, Eric Holder, a former uh, attorney general for President Barack Obama. And he and President Obama were both in Detroit this week, uh, and they, you know, obviously support ballot proposal number two. Uh, As I understand it, uh, the Michigan Freedom Fund has contributed, according to reports I just saw in the last day or so, $1.2 million uh, to your group, uh, Protect My Vote, opposing ballot proposal number two, uh, to take out TV ads uh, in these final uh, 10 days, uh, two weeks before the election. Uh, do you think the uh, Protect My Vote uh, ads on TV are pretty much going to make the arguments you've been making today? Are they going to say anything else? Uh, am I missing something here? No, I, you know, I think we, 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 it's very important that the, the voters, as they head to the polls, um, are aware of, of the problems with this. They are aware of the costly nature, the fact that this is a blank check to these 13 commissioners and that there is no way for voters to hold them accountable once they are on the commission. Um, to let them know about the complexity, um, about the unfairness of who is not permitted to serve on the commission, and uh, about the, um, the, again, the unaccountability. Um, we will be taking that message to voters, uh, you know, full spectrum of, of mediums, and uh, look forward to a, a, a robust debate here in the last 13 days. You have mentioned uh, the membership of the commission and uh, what they cannot be. They cannot be, as you say, civically engaged. That means they cannot be an elected office. And in fact, they can't even be related to somebody who's elected to office. Uh, But you've raised the question among the uh, eight partisans on the commission out of 13, four Republicans, four Democrats. In other words, these people may not be civically engaged, but you know, determining whether they are actually what they say they are, uh, the four Republicans being Republicans, it's conceivable. I mean, very hard to prove because, as you say, we don't register to vote by party here in Michigan, uh, that the four Republicans could all be uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. They could be Democrats masquerading as Republicans. And uh, Jocelyn Benson could say, uh, hey, they look good to me. And then you'd have, in essence, uh, if you got the four Democrats being bona fide Democrats, uh, you got eight Democrats, and they would automatically have a majority on this commission. Uh, what about that? Well, you know, th- th- that's that's one of the another one of the problems is not knowing for certain, um, being or at the very least being incredibly difficult of knowing if people really are um, of 
of the political leaning or persuasion that they claim to be. Let's look at it this way. Um, you know, you, let's say you've got a neighbor, and that neighbor has had a um, Trump sign in their yard for two years, and they apply, you see them, they've applied as an independent. And you think, oh, that's, that's BS. They've had a Trump sign before that. They had a, a Romney sign, and they were Bush both times, and McCain. Well, that person could say, well, yeah, but I voted for Jimmy Carter back in 1976, so I'm an independent. And Okay, so, so who gets to determine whether or not that's, that's okay? Um, there are just so many problems with this that, um, you know, the, 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 safe, the safe vote is no. And um, we'll be encouraging people to do that for the next 13 days. To be fair, uh, the proponents of Proposal 2 claim, and you correct me if I'm wrong on this, that um, it, two members of each uh, party uh, could block any map that's uh, drawn up by this commission if they don't like it, if they think it's unfair. So there's kind of like veto power uh, of at least two commissioners to block what the other 11 might decide looks like a good map. Is that correct or not? And I believe, I believe that's kind of correct. The way I understand it is that um, it takes at least, um, in order to get a majority, you would have to have at least two from each block. So two Democrats, two Republicans, two non-affiliated or independent to agree and then you would need to find uh, that. What is that? Six. You would need to find um, a seven, one more, a seven to, to from get, one, to one get a of majority. the majority. Yeah. Um, but the problem again is if if there are people who have not been honest and who have rigged the system and have infiltrated each of the other two categories. Um, and this again, this could be from either side. I mean, politicians are going to do what they can. Um, to, to utilize this system, um, or partisans will, then that, that difference, that, that need for two of each means nothing. Yeah, one, one of the uh, problems in the past in other states I know, and in Michigan in the past, has been that this process of reapportionment where there's deadlock can drag out and drag out to the point where we're almost up to the election <laughs> itself. And uh, in 2001 and 2011, and those years are important because the legislature, you may not like their plan, but at least they got their work done early. They got it done a year before the election in 2002 and in 2012. Um, This time, I mean, could you see this if there's constant litigation in courts, people uh, filing suit against what is going on with the commission, how they're being paid, how they're doing their work, the maps they've drawn up. I mean, this could drag on and on and on right up to the cusp of the election, right? Oh, absolutely. It could, it could drag on up to then and even beyond that. And just yet, a, yet another strike against this, this uh, complex, costly mess. And um, I strongly urge the listeners to uh, educate your family and friends and to vote no on Proposal 2 on November 6th. Well, Tony Daunt, uh, we could go on longer and longer. Uh, Tony Daunt, ex- Executive Director of Protect My Vote, uh, which is the ballot question committee opposing Proposal 2. Uh, we had uh, Katie Fahey and uh, former Ingham County Judge 
Peter Hauk on the program earlier in the summer in favor of this proposal. Now we've given Tony Dawn his say. Tony Dawn, thank you. You are most welcome. Thanks for having me.